I'm glad that you survived waiting outside my house before I was home. Yeah, that was rough. Because you were exposed to the tame version of the neighborhood gang members. I mean, as we've talked about before, my neighborhood is riddled with elderly gangs, usually from about 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. right before they go to bed. The... <laughs> the the elderly folks in the neighborhood will roam around with chains and masks, masks, like purge, you know, and those canes that have the four posts on the bottom with tennis balls over them. Like the guy from up, they'll, they'll walk around with those and they'll clink their prescription bottles on their fingers and go, warriors, come out and play. Yeah, I'm actually like. I, I was gonna laugh, but then I was like, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm, well, not surprised. I mean, you're a pretty well-run guy. I'm, I appreciate you have seen the Warriors and like referencing them in this. <laughs> Thank you. I, I felt like I had to explain it because it, it's a weird thing to do if they're like, why did, what, where did that come from? But yeah, so you got here a little bit before me and texted me and said, hey, I'm here. Am I safe? Am I okay? Right. And you mentioned that my directly next door my neighbors whom i share a driveway with they were sitting on the porch yeah what was going through your head how did, what was the well, first i noti- first i noticed that they were the no sock gang because they didn't have any socks on that's true croiler noticed there there are affiliations here yeah yeah there's the the com- high knee high compression socks yep. and then there's the no sock gang and that was the no sock gang. yeah and they uh they you know have you ever seen like the invasion of the body snatchers where they turned their head all at the same time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I pulled in the driveway, and they both the the two people sitting out in the in the driveway both turned their head at the same time and just stared at me for about you know fifteen to thirty seconds. At which point I started texting you. And you you were saying like, "Am I okay? Right. Should I leave?" You were you were kind of shaken up from it. And I, I was. You were the opposite of Henzo. Henzo probably would have, as we talked about in the last episode, <laughs> he may have hopped out and just kind of roughed him up a bit, so they didn't intimidate people in the future. Right. I, I just I just showed that I too was not wearing socks, and uh, if anything. I'm not affiliated. At worst case, I'm not affiliated with anybody. That's true. So did you stepped out of the car and did you like lift up your pants and just you're like? I just put my feet in the dashboard. Oh, bam! Put them up, yeah. pointed, and then did they just go about their business? They kept drinking and oh, I'm gonna every guess. every few minutes, or so they'd come back and look at me and then go back to drinking. I'm gonna get a lot of flack later from from the people in the neighborhood. They're gonna they're gonna say, you know, you can't let outsiders in if you didn't talk to Gerald. He's right. he's the guy who runs this this wing of the development. Yeah, that's that's a problem. That's tough. Okay, in the future, if you're worried, I always have bear mace with me. Okay, or just a, an episode of or a, a article of. A, What's that thing they used to call? Oh, yeah, newspaper. I have uh, the latest newspaper, like New York Times, and I'll throw it them, and they'll be like, liberal bias in the runway. <laughs> so that's, it's like garlic. For okay, vampires. all right, all right. I'll keep that in mind. Mm. I'll get some, some newspapers and, uh, and some, you know. It's what I do if I go to race. Whole Foods and I don't want anyone to talk to me. I'll just, I'll just put, I'll like cover myself in Fox News clippings, and no one will talk to me. It's the anti-camouflage. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Who are we? 
Thank you very much. Th- th- things are getting us back on track. Yeah. We are just jujitsu. We are a podcast about jujitsu and about yoga and about aggressive professional ping pong. Did I miss anything? I don't. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't want to say. <laughs> uh, this is just jujitsu. I am Andrew. And I'm Corella Gracie. Today's episode was inspired by, I went back and listened to a Hicks and Gracie interview. One that I like is when he was on Joe Rogan, because you'd rarely get the chance to hear a guy like him talk for two hours plus. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's a chance if you haven't heard it, just to hear him talk about his past experiences in jiu-jitsu and MMA, where he thinks jiu-jitsu is going, what he thinks about the state of jiu-jitsu. You get to just hear the brain of one of the most important people in the sport picked at and opened up. And uh, in that episode, he started to talk about guard. And we've done an episode on closed guard. Mm -hmm. But in this one, he differentiated between people who have a, he used the term sporting guard, but not a valetudo guard. And I thought, that's interesting. Closed guard you think, all right, close guard, got it. But there's there's a very different, close guard is something completely different in that Valley Tudo world or almost like a self-defense world than it is in like a sporting jiu-jitsu world, right? I mean, that's a super loaded question. Pa-pow! <laughs> gotcha. I mean, like an arm bar is an arm bar, right? Right. Um, an arm bar is going to work, it's going to be, functionally the same in a local tournament in a world tournament in in nogi it's going to be functionally the same in mma as well so the the i think you know when hickson said that a lot of people were quick to jump on board and say well you know he's outdated or he's obsoleted or he's not keeping up with the times but i think they missed the point the point wasn't that close guard for sport and close guard for MA are different beasts in it that there's different techniques, there's different things to do, and people that do sport jiu-jitsu are incapable of doing a close guard in MMA. And the reality, that's not quite true. I think what he means to say is where the focus is, where the focus and the priorities are, are different for those two different scenarios. And I think that's 100% true. You know, like I said, an armbar is an armbar, regardless of what situation you're in, right? However, in, let's say it's a tournament, let's say I'm in the finals of a major tournament, pick one, it does not matter, right? And and I'm up a few points. And somebody, I mount somebody, they roll me during my guard, I'm still up a few points during my guard. I could just, chill there and not really engage. I could use guard as a very much as a stalling position or as a way to, to create frustration, you know, to where my opponent has to decide, do I pass? Do I try to pass and potentially get swept or do I just stay in here and lose because there's a timer, you know, there's points, you know, and, and, and the techniques that I can use to employ those tactics to stall or to create an, an issue may leave me vulnerable for striking but in this scenario it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. right and meanwhile in mma 
you know, you could be, you could beat the guy two rounds straight, third round happens and you end up in the bottom of guard. You could lose that fight, you know, on the eyes of the judge, but also in the real sense of, I could get really beat up here. You know, you can't just hold your legs and hold their wrists and hope for, you know, for, for dear life that you're okay. Um, because you may get beat up there. So the techniques that you would employ in MMA are going to be much more different because the focus is going to be an immediate suppression of strikes followed by potential advancement, whether it's a sweep or a submission. Where in the sport jiu-jitsu, it's much more relaxed to where I can expose my face, I can put myself in precarious situations because I know that ultimately you're kind of stuck, you know. Right. So what does that mean then? Or what does that do to the modern day guard when most of the people who are doing it are not thinking about, okay, I have some strikes I have to be concerned about. When you don't have to worry about being struck in the face, you can forget about that threat and start to go for things on their body that open your face and head up. You know, that's the thing, right? I think that's really his his issue with this whole thing is what are we doing to the population, right? The the the, the truth is if we were to separate the groups in jiu-jitsu and we were to say, okay, I, I would say roughly 90% of the people that train jiu-jitsu, 85% of the people that train jiu-jitsu are training solely for fun. It's a fun right. exercise. It's a fun sport. You can compete until you're 90 years old. You can not compete if you don't want to compete. It exercises your mind, your body. You know, you create a family, friends that you, that you train with. There's this bond. It gets you out of the house. The other 15% are going to be split into a variety of situations, right? Whether it's a kid who's being bullied, who's looking for some self-confidence, whether it's the the battered woman or 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 the the man who's been physically assaulted or threatened who wants to protect himself because there's a, a potential for an imminent threat or or you know and then there's like out of that 15% there's like 4 or 5% of people that want to do MMA and 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 then out of that there there's probably a point two percent of people who are in a movie and researching um, right and then of that there's probably a percentage of people who are clowns <laughs> on the side and want to learn how to defend themselves right. without um kids that get rowdy exactly so yeah, yeah. sorry that might yeah. have been a yeah a, a no option. so you know the, the the whole thing is is like most people that come into jujitsu to say hey i want to fight mma they don't mean it they don't understand you know, so I'm talking about the, the percentage of people that actually do want to do MA. The real, they really want to do it. They're committing their lives to that, right? They're going to, they're already going to grapple with an emphasis of, hey, how do I not get hit? Because I really could get hit. Now, there's a bunch of tough guys that walk in and say, hey, I want to do MA. I want to be a UFC world champion. I want to, you know, do all these great things. But then two weeks after start classes start, they either give up because it's too hard or it's not their thing. They're, they rather bang. So what happens is by teaching a sport only, a sport focused guard, right? Where we are opening ourselves up to potential threats because those threats are, they don't happen because of the rules in which we're choosing to engage. We, we can develop habits, bad habits, right? Um, doing things that, still 
technically are correct, but that would expose ourselves to danger. Um, basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is Hickson is thinking of what jujitsu will work under a life or death scenario where there are no rules to protect you. And his issue is the vast majority of people training jujitsu are learning jujitsu from guys who were raised with jujitsu that was buffered by rules. You know, you're not going to get hit. You're not going to get stomped. You're not going to get your eyes poked. You're not going to get, you know, head cranked, you know I mean? So, you know, they're not going to smash your head into the ground. And, and, and because of that, it's almost like there is a loss of uh, understanding that, you know, jiu-jitsu at, the, at its core is a self-defense, you know, tool. And if you don't know how to use that tool for self-defense, then you're wasting your time, according to him, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned how the people coming, a lot of, most people coming into it now are coming from a perspective of this looks fun, it's a good workout, right. which is very different from the origin of mm-hmm. jujitsu, where you had probably a lot of people coming in who were saying, I want to learn how to defend myself because I'm growing up in a dangerous part of Rio. Yeah, right. And when you take that into consideration, what was, let's go back to what was the original guard, that whole concept, what was the purpose of that guard? Well, if you're, if you're in, if you're in guard back in the day, the idea was, okay, we are in an inferior position, but we need to be dangerous off of an inferior position. So, you know, in order of priorities, we need to suppress or nullify any ability that our opponent has to do damage to us. This includes striking, you know, punches, elbows, headbutts, you know, eye gouges, everything. You find a way to neutralize that so that you do not get hit. Once that happens, then it becomes a little bit more of an even even playing field where neither of us can really do a lot of damage. Because remember, from the bottom of guard, your ability to deliver striking damage to the person on top is very, very limited. Not you can't Im- really wind up. Yeah. Again, not impossible, just limited, right? Um, and and um, so once we've eliminated, we eliminated the striking, we're closer to being even. And then at that stage, it becomes a matter of, okay... I have to maintain that level of control, find a way to either advance by off-balancing our opponent or exposing their back. If they're off-balance, maybe sweep them, right? And if their back's exposed, take it. If that's not an option, um, then, then submissions become a priority, right? We need to learn to submit right away so that we can finish the fight, you know, and that, that being the ultimate goal. And, and there's different schools of thought on should you focus on sweeping and bettering your position or submitting i will always lean to bettering your position first and then submitting because remember if the idea is to protect yourself in a violent situation and you go for an arm bar and you miss that arm bar right i mean it's a situation where adrenaline is going to be pumping you may have nothing left because they may be past your guard now they can hit you so maybe sweeping or taking their back, achieving a position of more dominant control, and then delivering damage is more beneficial. If you're talking to someone who is, if you're teaching that guard that is being used for a self-defense purpose, and they have to take into consideration strikes, what are what are the ways that you're helping them? 
defend against those strikes? Is it blacking? Is it controlling the posture? Well, what, what I mean, are you I mean, at? it's learning to ultimately what it comes down to is the ability to control height and distance, right? Distance being their, a, the, your opponent's height. Yes, and and their distance with us, you know, height being their ability to rise, you know, create a distance in height between myself and and them, and distance their ability to create distance between me and them in a horizontal axis so when you say the uh if you're doing like vertical is that are you talking about like raising the hips and standing up you know pulling back really hard for a punch you know all those things we're in height i'm sorry we're in distance it may be crowding me you know um to where i can't really defend myself or move well Uh, guys get pinned against the cage all the time in mma um, or pulling away from me and, and, and backing out to where I lose control of my close guard and then maybe they start to pass or stand up away from me and, and, and so on. Mm. And, and the, the best methods are still the tried and true methods that have been around since the dawn of jiu-jitsu, right? Which is going to be your overhooks and your underhooks, combinations you know, of them with use of your legs to create off-balancing while you're setting up overhooks and underhooks. And as you're doing this, you're also needing to control that posture of the opponent. Right. What are you? What are you doing in that case to control the posture? So you know, the the first thing is understanding that we are in an advantageous situation in that the, our hips control their hips; they're in our guard. So using your legs to create an off balance or a structural imbalance in their hips and their lower back is great because they can be as strong as they want to be up top but if they don't have something to stand on then that structure is useless you know and then at that point you can pull them forward you can come up to them and then you start tying them up with overhooks and underhooks a great example of this uh, the two the two that come to mind uh, recently are, are um, neiman gracie when he fought um uh, mcdonald mm-hmm. and uh ruth and then um, TCD when he fought oh man what was his name man that was like a bloodbath I forget the guy's name um, uh, did he fight not Ferguson did he fight Max Holloway not not Holloway no it was the one that he won Holloway he lost to Holloway okay but he, there was like a bloodbath he beat this guy from the bottom of guard which is the exception to the rule right um, but anyways so the reason why I used both of these guys is because Neiman is a traditional Gracie martial artist. He's going to hold it in tight. Ed Ruth and, and um, McDonald really couldn't do a lot of damage from there. Um, even though Neiman lost the fight to McDonald, that was more because of experience than because he got beat up. In fact, they both looked pretty, you know, damage-free at the end of the fight. Um, whereas Ortega will at times put his feet in the hips and kind of push away, right? If he starts to lose that that distance control, that horizontal axis uh, control, he will eventually just make the opponent overcompensate and just shove him far away and then try to stand himself, stand up himself, you know, because he's also a, a good striker where Neiman is more of a traditional, you know, jiu-jitsu fighter. That concept there is a valuable one that you, I remember, brought, talk, told me maybe after my first year at jiu-jitsu of... I was having trouble controlling people's posture with my legs because I'm smaller, so it's it's tougher right. for me to uh, to get I think the leverage and also just control them. And you talked about the kind of causing them to overcompensate. But right. what's that concept? How do you use that with an opponent? So I think the best way to explain it is like you know if you 
ever have a little kid trying to like shove you and you just stand there and they push and push and push and you just stand there mm-hmm. and they push and push and push. And then not only do you move out of the way, but you also pull them. <laughs> so they're not just falling What are you doing own. to these poor kids? <laughs> and where are you, where are you pushing your kids? <laughs> you know, all I'm saying is, is like, you know, it's one thing, like if somebody is pushing into you or pulling against you and then you, you let them go. Right. Or, or you move out of the way and let them stumble forward or stumble backwards. It's something completely different when you make them overcompensate, whether it's to push or pull. And not only do you move out of the way or let them go, but you add to their loss of control, right? If I'm pushing on you and you're not moving, I'm adding more and more power until I get you to move. The reality, though, is you don't have to stand there and take it. And if suddenly you move out of the way, I am for a brief moment. I'm at a loss of control where I will stumble forward, you know, and, you know, most people can catch themselves and kind of be okay. But if not only you move out of the way, you also drag me in that same direction, then I, my recovery is much more difficult and you become much more efficient. So when we talk about that in regards to guard is if, if I have, if I want the opponent to, let's say, pull back really hard. Right. I want to do like a hip over sweep. I just as a, as a rough example, I need them to sit up straight and, and, and kind of have their energy going in a direction that I want to sweep them. Right. They want to they're pulling their body up. Momentum is going towards their back. And that's kind of what I want. I don't want to, to push them on their back when they're moving forward. You know, then we're fighting. So I may pull him in pull them in close to me, you know, with my legs, with my arms, kind of hold them down. They're going to try to create good posture and push away from me and sit up straight. And as they do that, I may suddenly let go and then add my own energy to it, my own momentum to it. So they're staggering back as I'm pushing forward. You don't need as much energy then. Absolutely not. Yeah. It becomes a very synergetic, you know, use of, of momentum and energy there. Yeah. I like the idea that I don't have to you, I don't have to push, create enough force to push you all the way back so I can pass. I just need to create enough force to make you feel like you have to just pr- push back a little right. bit. And then you move out of the way. And then that's it. And then I can utilize maybe something, an attribute that I'm stronger in, which would be moving out of the way I'm faster. So I can right. I can, can move out of the way and right. like collar drag. And, right. Well, it depends on the Well, you're, you're, you're much more agile, right? So... You may not be as strong as, you know, somebody in the school that's big. I'm trying to think of who in our school is like this, probably the strongest person, like, like a Jake, like a Jake, like you know, 250 pounds of sod power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to out muscle him. Right. Right. But if you make him had so much power that if you simply move out of the way, he will lose control even for a brief moment you now can take advantage of that loss of control and, and, and advance. Yeah, because even a p- big, powerful guy like him, he needs a lot of power to pull back. Right. And so if you can create the that that dynamic, then yeah, the small guy. Yeah, the over- overcompensating is truly the... the I sympathize with Ixon in it that the close guard is a lost art. You know, um, I was talking to a a buddy of mine who sent me a message about how all these closed guard videos are coming out and they're the new fad, right? They're the new guard. No, closed guard was the first guard. It was the original guard. There's nothing new, right? Things may be more polished. Sure. 
but they're not new. What happens is in, in there's a progression, right? When, when you're looking at like, historically, there's a trend. If I'm competing, I need an edge on my competition, right? So, so let's say you and I, we're, we're, we're kind of like, we're immortal. We live forever and you and I are competing and we start on our feet. So I'm like, Hey, I need to get this guy on the ground so I can win. Right. So I get really good at takedowns. I really, really good. I develop my wrestling, my judo. I become incredible. What's your response to that? Well, you can take me down a lot now, so I'm going to have to learn how to react. Fight, and fight from fight the bottom. Back, yeah. right. In fact, so much so that you're not even going to waste the time fighting me on your feet. I'll just lay down on my side and go, come on, let's go. Why not? It's going to happen anyways, except this way you're not tired. Right. And you can decide which position you're in. Mm -hmm. So begins guard pulling. You cycle back through yeah, because now if I'm in your close guard, which is what happened, you know, 60s, 70s was close guard. And I, I'm like, shit, like Andrew's really got a really good close guard. Every time I move, he makes me overcome. I say he submits me, sweeps me. You know, I can't fight him here. Right. So I need to find a way to open his legs and pass. Right. So I don't have to deal with this close guard. And by God, if I pass that guard, I'm not going back in there. That's a nightmare. So I become very good at nullifying your attacks, opening your legs. And then when I get to side, I become good at stalling because I can't afford to move too much and let you get back to guard because that was hell to pass. Right. Mm -hmm. What do you do then? Fuck it. My legs are going to open anyways. This I can't beat him here. He's too big, too strong, whatever the case may be. I'm going to start doing open guard. Right. And then you can go through a series of open guard styles that were addressing issues that were coming up. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is in reality, this is happening over 40 years, 50 years. Right. You and I are not going to live forever doing this. So what happens is I'm teaching people to do the things I've had to do to be successful right then they take that mantle on that research on and eventually they will be teaching people to do the things that they had to do to be sex successful you had you know a couple decades down people will have forgotten simple things like close guard not forgotten but not appreciated not practice no experience with it it becomes like a new type of novelty of have you guys heard about this? Have right. you tried this? It's like the new thing. Yeah. What what kind of as the pendulum swings back there, what what type of things are people using with the close guard? What's like the new version? What nothing. It's all, all the stuff it's is all just the, the same, same stuff. Again, a little more polished, right? Because the research has been done over mm -hmm. fifty more years. So it's a little bit more and, and techniques in jutsu will always get more polished. How we do arm bars today is more polished not better not more efficient people are breaking arms forever right but more polished more um concise um so a little bit, it is a little more efficient then sure sure mm -hmm. but uh, efficient in the sense of being successful with it not the ability of the technique to work right how we do an arm bars today doesn't mean we break arms any it's not any easier to break arms today than it was 50 years ago, it's easier to get there. It's easier to maintain that control. And we may have found ways of applying less energy to cause that break, but the arm still breaks. Like the outcome has always happened. A rear naked 
a hundred years ago would work the same as a rear naked now, but it's more polished now. We've, we've addressed certain issues that we've had before, right? So it's all the same stuff. You, you look at, look at guys from any, any era, close guard has changed. It's, it's its own system, its own ecosystem, and it doesn't need to change to be effective. Mm. I think the emphasis has changed. Okay. When, when we go back to that conversation with Hicks and talking about the guards, one thing that I was a little surprised to hear him say was that pulling guard in a fight wasn't necessarily a terrible idea. Well, was so, that, it was not something I'd expect a guy like that to say. So he's not saying that pulling guard is the thing to do, right? He's saying it's not a bad idea. And then there's, a, and again, I think I wish Hickson would better elaborate on when he says things like that because it's so easy to hear a guy from his stature say something like that and then you know for us to make a, a you know a mountain out of a you know anthill so um i think he then said takedowns are bad <laughs> only pull guard and turtling is a valid technique it's not a valid technique okay i maybe he didn't say some of that <laughs> Um, so, okay, so um, who in MMA today is efficient and successful with their close guard? Can't use Neiman because I just said that that's cheating, or Ortega, you're referencing people I just said. Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall does not do close guard. How many times have you seen Ryan Hall close guard? Now, I'm sure he's got a great close right. guard, but how many times have you seen it in MMA? Damian Maya. Is it though? Are you sure? I'm just thinking of the jujitsu guys. Because Dam- Damian Maya is usually half guard. He uses half guard to get on top, passes, takes the back, chokes, etc. Hmm. A true half guard guy, or a true close guard close guy, guard. who will stay there and actually do work. Other than Neiman, Crone. Crone. Correct. Crone. Yes. So why is it that the only three people you can think of are guys that are fundamentally Gracie jujitsu? they've had those basics instilled in them absolutely that's what you're taught from day one right now again i'm not saying that there's not other great guys that are doing great things with mma with jiu-jitsu in mma but so so crone's been trying to get fights right he's been trying to to find somebody to fight with and nobody wants anything to do with it right they don't they don't want to fight him and they even offer the fight to Faber, and Uriah Faber is obviously retired, a great fighter. He turned the fight down. I believe that was the smartest thing in the world was to turn the fight down against Crone. Why is that? Faber is an incredible wrestler. Crone is not going to take Faber down. In fact, Crone has, I don't think, has taken anybody down in any of his matches in MMA. And guys, Crone's got incredible takedowns. He's a very, very good takedown artist, but he's not taking anybody down in MMA. And uh, he would have. Been, this is how the fight would have played out, right? And I'm not saying that Crone would have won. I believe he would, but I'm not. You know, I, I'm I'm not a fortune teller, right? Um, but this is how I think the fight would have played out. Faber would start punching. Crone would try to initiate a. Crone would try to initiate a clinch, at which point Faber would out-wrestle him and probably slam Crone into the ground. Crone would then get close guard and tie 
Uri Faber down. And Uri Faber would not have the skill set to deal with a close guard of his caliber because Uri Faber has never had to develop a skill set to deal with a close guard guy of his caliber because anytime anyone gets inside somebody's close guard in MA, what do they do? They block the shoulders or the biceps and they punch them. Guys in the bottom react how? They open up, they push, put their feet in the hips, at which point the person that's performing the ground and pound passes or stands up. Mm. Right? He would have he wouldn't have the experience being held down from the bottom from the top, right? From the bottom by crone. Because nobody else does it. And and I think that lack of inexperience would be a place where crone could drag, you know, your right favor into because he would just drown him in knowledge and experience there because Crone would have more in that particular position. And there are a lot of guys, a good chunk of the UFC, who is not familiar with, is not seeing that type of style right. on a regular basis. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, we talked about trends in jiu-jitsu, right? There's trends in MMA too, right? It was first believed we're going to bang, right? Striking is the way to go. Then comes a few grapplers, Hoist, Shenrock, others. Grappling is the way to go. We're going to grapple now. And then other people said, fuck that. We're going to prevent being taken down because if I go to the ground, I can't beat these guys. Comes the era of the counter strikers and the, the hard sprawlers like Chuck, um, uh, Chiro Tees and Chuck Liddell, right? Where they would very much sprawl hard and they would own, they would initiate takedowns when it benefited them. But otherwise the fight would remain on their feet the whole time. And then enters the era of, okay, Tito Ortiz is a huge influence in this. We're on the ground. I'm just going to beat you here. You know, I'm not going to let you set up your tricks. I'm not going to let you set up your attacks. I'm just going to beat you. How do the, again, you have to keep in mind that for most of this, other than a few exceptions, jujitsu MMA is very, very poor. Very, very poor. Even the guys that are quote-unquote black belts in AFC are very poor jiu-jitsu, or at least poorly translated for MMA. And um, what do they do? How do they react to this information that, hey, if I stay in closed guard, this guy's going to beat the fuck out of me? I'm not going to use closed guard. Yeah, I'm going to put my feet in the hips, and I'm going to push away. If he keeps coming in, I'm going to maybe you know kick him in the face you know, or, or at least create enough distance to where he's forced to let me up. So now the jiu-jitsu guy is willingly choose, choosing to lose control of height and distance and start up on their feet, which is an area outside of their, their expertise. And then ground pound becomes the next thing. Everybody's doing it. Well, if we're all doing ground and pound, one of us is not. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. what it comes down to. So then you start seeing guys like that, that are multi- you know, multifaceted guys that can strike and grapple, guys that can take down and stop takedowns, guys like Anderson Silva, who was incredible striker, but also very, very good on the ground, right? Um, you saw guys like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of like another great example, like, like St. Pierre. St. Pierre comes from a striking background. The best wrestler in the UFC until Khabib, you know, um, because he realized, hey, I'm going to beat most people on their feet. 
if I can't, my ground pound just has to be better than their ground game. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and then comes the guys that are multi-leveled, and still with a focus in one area and a complementary knowledge in a different area. Again, trends, right? Mm-hmm. And then now you're starting to see more and more guys that are technical on the ground, right? The jiu-jitsu guys are coming back, like with Neiman and Ortega and... Crone, Damian Maya, Rodolfo Vieira, who just fought. Um, but it's a little bit different, though, right? They're no longer setting up these tricky attacks. They're just, they're coming after you. They're looking to take you down and get on top. They're becoming multifaceted to where, you know, like um, Nicolini, Michelle Nicolini, who's probably the most decorated female competitor ever. She Her last fight she won she took the girl down two rounds and two on two rounds back to back controlled her dominated the match third match comes out the girl knows hey nicolini's gonna shoot a double she knows that's what she did the first two rounds nicolini shoots the double the girl sprawls hard nicolini falls back pulls half guard gets up get under the hook gets up gets on top beats her up right but that's the the progression at some point we're gonna go back to the beginning mm-hmm. You know, and you're going to start seeing guys, well, we're seeing that already, guys like Khabib, who are like the ultimate grappler, right? Who who are saying, oh, fuck striking, fucking everything. I'm just going to take you down and beat you here. Yeah, they would literally say before the fight, you know my game. I'm yeah. not coming out here to knock you out. You just can't stop it. I'm going to take you down and you can't do anything about it. Right. And he's coming back. He's mm-hmm. like that, that trend is starting over. Right. You know, so it goes in cycles. So that makes more sense than about Hicks, Hickson's statement about pulling guard well i think it's just priority mm-hmm. you know i think it's one thing if we're saying hey let's get ready to compete at pan american games or or at the worlds you know or, or adcc there's no striking do any crazy shit that you want that's going to work for your game and another where hey this guy is going to try to beat the fuck out of you good luck right those are two different things and i think it's just the focus and the emphasis on training that is different and, and, and there's sometimes there's a little bit of a lost start because we're outside of that cycle where close guard was a priority. So as we have a let's say a sporty guard and the or sport guard and a it takes into the Valley Tudo guard or the kind of more fight centric mm-hmm. guard, all is not lost. It's not it's this is you don't say oh man this is this is gone it's never coming back you just you see it as a trend you, yeah, you think it'll come back it's successful it's so it'll it'll always be around right i mean look at leg locks right they were huge to the point where they they banned it and they made it taboo right decades nobody did leg locks and now they became really you know super hot and like people want to do it all the time but you don't hear about it as much anymore. Leg locks aren't the new hot thing yet. Mm-hmm. My guess is within the next year to two years, we're going to see the new new hot thing. In fact, Keenan has already started with his like warm guard is taken off, or his lapel guard. You see more and more people doing it. But again, it goes in trends. At some point, somebody's going to go, hey, you know what's really cool? It's this new guard called the half guard. And they'll just call it something else. Holy shit, man. What's a half guard? Dude, it's kind of like... Close guard, but just like 50%. Yeah, like half of it. Whoa. That's, that's... exactly how it's going to play out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's that's good. Good place to end it. Um, before we go, let's do a listener email. Oh, we got another one? Yeah, we got another one. We got these for days. Dang. All right. This one is from 
James. James says, I've been training for about six months and I absolutely love BJJ. I noticed that doing certain moves or getting into certain guard positions seems easy for me to practice, but other things seem just impossible to do. Is there anything to the idea that certain builds or body types will find parts of BJJ easier to do versus people built a different, a different way? For example, a guy with long legs, long arms, and short toes, torso versus a guy built like Husamar, Husamar Palhares. Mm-hmm. And then he hisses P.S. Again, with the voices. P.S. My wife walked in while I was halfway through with, with Podcast 23 and after five minutes of listening, asked me if that... Leave Schreiber, if it was Leave Schreiber <laughs> talking to a high school freshman. And for the record, <laughs> Professor, oh, that's very respectable. Professor Froiler sounds exactly like Leave Schreiber. Wow. That's interesting. I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm gonna have do, to look that up now. <laughs> he'll do a lot of the uh, commentary either for the UFC fights or for boxing. Um, oh, God. I hope it's somebody that sounds good. Leave Schre- you know who he is? I don't know. Off the top of my head. I've heard the name. I don't if know you if saw I- him. You, you well, it's more the sound. That <laughs> he has a very like masculine voice. So oh, okay. it's, oh, that's good. It's, that's I'll tell good. you this. It's better than a high school freshman. That's- <laughs> it's definitely better than that. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> so there's contrast. Last week, someone was saying that you sounded like a screechy frog. Yeah. But see... We talked about how that you know the option was to pay attention and listen and learn. It's true. Or not. This guy clearly James. James is learning. He's it's a getting, sharp guy. Yeah. Well, one man's screechy frog is another man's leave driver. I guess so. <laughs> so, so back to what he was his main question: styles, body types. What? Do you, how much weight do you give to that? Man, like that's tough. You know. So, yes. It's absolutely true that certain body types will favor certain styles, right? Um, Generally speaking, somebody that's longer limbed is going to be better at attacking because they'll be able to create better angles and better lever um, leverages um, to be successful in attacking. However, the the stockier person is going to be far harder to submit because they will have smaller levers to work with, which are also smaller targets to work with. Um, Now, you can get into more specifics, right? You can get a guy who is big and long, but because he's so big, he's not flexible, right? And then you can have a guy who's tall and lanky, same kind of build, but it's flexible. So yes, absolutely, there's different styles. (coughs) Now, certain moves will lend themselves to be buffered better by certain body types. Example, a triangle. Long-legged people will have a much easier time locking up a triangle but a much harder time finishing in comparison to somebody with shorter legs. If a short-legged person locks their triangle, it'll be initially at least far tighter than somebody with longer legs because the gap in which the neck and the arm are in is much smaller. So it's going to deliver a higher level of pressure. Now, Would the ideal body type for a successful triangle be someone with one really long leg and someone with a really short leg? It would be somebody with better technique. Uh, but I mean, if you don't want that whole technique thing, I, I long leg, short the, leg, the, the long, the long. Well, right. I mean, if you could have like a leg that's shorter than the others, sure. If you decided, what do you think is easier to opt for surgery to shorten a leg and lengthen another leg or to just have better technique, better technique. 
Ah, we'll see. You, you know, so maybe someone out there with money can try that out. But but you know, back to the question is is like, should you through your career in jujitsu, through your time in jujitsu, should you focus on what works best for your body? And I, I think the answer is no. I think you should be as well rounded as you could be everywhere. Naturally, you are gonna lean to certain positions because of your body style, your your flow style, your personality, the tempo that you grapple in. But if we limit ourselves to only doing those things, we, we're just doing exactly that, limiting ourselves. I think be as well-rounded as you can be everywhere. The jiu-jitsu should work for everyone of any shape and size. Um, granted that the technique be, you know, as close to perfect as it can, as can be. There are always going to be things where you're going to like to do better because of your body style. Um, so that'll happen naturally on its own. Okay. That's the first time you answered a listener email without attitude. Well, you like we found the <laughs> formula. Well, no, because I mean the other thing too is he's only been training six months. That's he, true. He could he the fact that he said there's certain guards I like better is concerning. <laughs> like you don't even understand what a guard is. But again, he's far better off than insult somebody who insult him, insult him. I, I, don't, I, I think I did, but, you know, he's better off than, than the other Chris guy. That's from last week? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that guy's hopeless, man. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we leave, we didn't do this last week, so we just have to check in on when I think we left, left off with our Just Jiu-Jitsu D&D oh my God. session. But are you writing these down? Because how, how can you remember that stuff? Uh, I just I I I remember it's vivid. It I live sticks, these in my I, with you. I live these in my brain. So oh my God. so we just ended with you were uh, you were on the run. You woke up in this mysterious place. You and you had a, got a cellmate. You got out. You killed a guy. You cut his Achilles, uh, which is <clears throat> you did that on your own. That was weird. But <laughs> then, then you you busted through into this room where you shoved the, the cellmate in first. You shoved the cellmate in. Yeah. That's right. And you made him check it out. And now the door closed behind you. Locked and you're in a room with like a veterinary right. clinic's back room with right, right. cages. I remember that now. Yes, cats, dogs, but they all look like they're kind of like zombies. Yeah. Uh, and w- some of the cages start to like open open as they're yeah, yeah. they're getting out so you have to have written this down because like that, i think that's verbatim what you said last time <laughs> hey i was making eye contact with you that whole time so I, unless i wrote wrote it down on your forehead so <laughs> so we are in a predicament here you see these not we you and your friend uh you see these couple of them walk out there's like a pit bull that has maybe like the bottom right part of his jaws decaying he's foaming at the mouth his eyes are green there's a a beautiful siamese cat that's walking out it was beautiful it's not anymore it has part of its side is rotten out okay. and they're they're coming towards you and you and your buddy there are the cages now you have about four of them that are okay. out of the cages okay. that are slowly coming uh-huh. towards you and it's you and your buddy you're facing them what do you do you can look around the room is, uh, is there an exit door somewhere there is an exit door to, it's between you and these four creatures. Okay. So I still have the, the knife I had on earlier. The knife? Yeah, because I cut the guy's Achilles, Yes, right? you do. Okay, yes. all right. So again, it's the whole, like, the whole bear predicament, right? I don't uh-huh. have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun the people with me. <laughs> I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> okay, so. I'm just saying. <laughs> yep. So you the know. guy's next to you and he looks at you and goes, hey, man. Oh, in this together, what do you want to do? 
<laughs> I think it's more concerning that you knew I was going to do that. <laughs> I'm just judging the way that you played before. Yeah, and I'm just saying, I don't know who this person is. He was right. in prison. He could have been an asshole. I don't know. Could have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a prison. It's, is it a prison or just the back of a veterinary clinic? Well, we were being held, so. You were being yeah. held, so he's thinking yeah. the same about you, maybe, this guy. Right. Right. I just saw this guy choke someone and then slit their Achilles tennis. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, so you guys are standing there. What, what's your move? He starts, like, looking around. He grabs, like, a clipboard, and he's, right. Whoa, like, swinging it in front of these things. Right, right. I let him lead the way, and then once it looks, you know, hopeless, then, then, then you know, kind of okay. kind of do the whole thing where we talked about in the podcast where I make him overcompensate a little bit. Okay. Are you push? Are you nudging him? Are you kind of, like, pushing him... It, into this yeah scene? yeah yeah okay so he's in there and and this pit bull and if if he if he trips and i think i can save him i'll save the guy but if he falls and all hope is lost and all hope is lost mm. it was more of like if he falls he like if he dies he dies type yeah thing. Like if he yeah. falls he falls if he trips on my foot then he yeah. trips right all right so he's swinging this around you're behind him maybe like your hands just kind of on his back as for support but maybe a little too aggressive with the support sure, sure. i mean and I'm, I'm swinging the knife around protecting you know what I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I hope I'm never in this situation with you. So he has this pit bull latch on to him. He starts to scream, and then the, the, one of the cats jumps and bites his side. And they the four animals kind of like, like jump on him. And he's going, ah! Oh, oh, and he looks at you, and he's like, what do we do? And so all the animals who were freed are now attached to him. So the question then becomes, are these like undead cats? Or are these potentially... Con- contagious you don't know you just know that they're you got it you got to assume the worst zombie apocalypse you just walk out you you, so you look at that door that's in front of you guys and you walk right out you open that door do you look back or anything no (laughs) (laughs) you hear him like whimpering and then you just you shut the door behind you i mean he clearly couldn't beat the the animals because if he could he wouldn't be in the situation that he's in that's true yeah so you shut the door you just will keep walking yeah you turn around and you're in you're in just the the lobby of this veterinary clinic no one's there it's empty it's empty oh empty. okay yeah so you you're just in here now. You, you can, there's a front door. Did I just walk out of the front door then? You walk out yeah, the front door. There's no reason to stay. As you walk out the front door, you see that there are probably four police cars that are all just parked and like barricaded. And they're behind the uh, their cars with guns going, get down, motherfucker, or we'll shoot. We stop there. Okay, we'll stop there. <laughs> Again, we are establishing. The, oh, my God. We are building the profile of a serial killer <laughs> not a serial killer survivalist one man's survivalist is another man's sociopath um sure. so we are uh, we're just discovering a lot about each other in these episodes that's why i like this it's an exercise to learn about you about me yeah, about you because you're creating these sick twisted scenarios i am and i'm loving every second of them 